In Colossians chapter 1 verse 9, it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, and what he's speaking about is their faith in Jesus. In verse 6, he said, Do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, I just want you to pause on that for just a moment, and I want you to understand the desire of the Apostle Paul, because he's talking to a group of people in Colossae that are saved. They have been born again. The Holy Spirit lives in them. And so hearing of their faith and their relationship with God, he immediately goes into prayer. And this is, I think, very important for us to understand. His prayer is that they would be filled with wisdom and spiritual understanding. Um, And so just because a person becomes a Christian, born again, does not automatically mean that they begin to have spiritual understanding. And I I believe the tragedy throughout history has come from the hands of religious people that had understanding, but not spiritual understanding. They had wisdom, but not godly wisdom. They had intellectual knowledge, but not spiritual knowledge. So this is what I want to talk about. Paul is praying for this, for the church. And the result of this, the result of wisdom and spiritual understanding will take place in a person's life by producing this, a walk that is worthy of the Lord. How many of you want to have a walk that is worthy of God? It is unto all pleasing. It is being fruitful in every good work. If you love God, then Jesus said in John 15, this is how my father's glorified that you bear much fruit. And so it is through wisdom, all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you're going to be able to have a life that is worthy of the Lord and that is pleasing. And it says all pleasing, which is absolutely incredible and being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. How many of you want to know God more than you know God? I'm not talking about knowing more about God, but how many of you want to know God personally more than you do right now? Strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks to the Father, which has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light and has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And so this strength and this power that God wants to bring into our life to just open us up and give us wisdom and spiritual understanding, cause us to be fruitful, give us the capacity of knowing God himself. And then he begins to describe this God who is so benevolent. He is so great. He's delivered us. He took us out of darkness and put us into light. Who would not want to know him better? That's been so giving and so sacrificing and so kind. And so this power that God has for us is the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we're going to see that in just a moment. So I want you to understand, according to verse 9, that having wisdom and spiritual understanding is extremely important to the Apostle Paul, that he made it his prayer 
for the believers that are in Colossae. You'll find a similar prayer in the book of Ephesians that Paul prays for the believers that are there. And so I want you to understand that this is necessary if you're going to have a life that's pleasing to God and a life that's fruitful to God. And if you're going to have a life that has the capacity of knowing God himself, then you need to believe this for your own life. And we need to pray for one another that this would take place in our life. And so what is spiritual understanding? That, that's a question I want to lay out for you tonight, today. What is it? How does it come? And I want to look at a couple of verses of Scripture to look at this. The first is in James chapter 3. And in the book of James, it tells us something very clearly about wisdom. And it, as you turn into James 3, I will just bring this to your attention. In James 1, 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So if you need wisdom, you can ask the Lord for it. He will give this to you. But there's a difference between religious wisdom and spiritual wisdom. There's a big difference. And I want to stress the religious wisdom that a lot of times we might find ourselves operating in. In James chapter 3, he says in verse 13, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good lifestyle his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. And you will typically find this in religion, that there's a lot of strife. You have problems with people. You have issues. There are things and obstacles and hindrances that you can't seem to get past. You have bitter envying in you. And this is typically the religion or the wisdom of religion. And so it says this wisdom in verse 15, it descends not from above. It is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Now, I want you to see this. James does not say this isn't wisdom. He says it indeed is wisdom. It is intellectual wisdom. It seems to make sense. It's logical. You can quote scriptures and you can have text and you can have verses that prove your point. But this wisdom does not come from God. It is earthly, sensual, and devilish. And it creates strife and it creates envy and it creates evil works. And that has been the tragedy in Christendom for so long. But the wisdom in verse 17 that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. It is full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So the wisdom that comes to us from God, and if any of us lack it, we can ask God for it and he will give it to us is a wisdom that comes into our life giving us peace. It, it gives us a disposition and a demeanor by which we can talk things out and reason things out and not fight and not debate against one another and begin to envy one another and have strife with one another. How many church splits have occurred because of that? 
How many denominations have occurred because of that difference of opinions and the inability to get along or to agree together and the strife and the envy and the bitterness that comes, you know, through that. You have First Baptist Church, you have Second Baptist Church, you have Third Baptist Church, you have First Pentecostal Church, Second Pentecostal, all of these First, Second, there's typically offshoots are breaking off of one another. And not always for good reason. Sometimes it's a good reason and it's a, it's a church plant or something. But sometimes it's just because there was a debate or a fight that they couldn't get past and Christians divided against one another, debating and fighting and evil works. This is not the wisdom of God. This is not what God intends because the wisdom that comes from God is demonstrated in peace and it is found in those who make peace. And it comes to us from heaven. And so I want you to understand that spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding is just not somebody's ability to know Greek and Hebrew and a lot of Bible texts and can prove their point from the scriptures and then adamantly say at the end of that, I'm right, you're wrong. And until you see it my way, then we're just not going to have any agreement or relationship for that matter. That is not from God. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, about spiritual understanding. And I want you to turn there with me. And I want you to see this in the latter part. It says in. Um, we'll begin in verse 9. As it is written. I has not seen nor ear heard. Neither has entered into the heart of man. The things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. Now some people are stuck in verse 9. And they've not moved into verse 10. And, and the verse 10 is so important because those things that the eye can't see, the ear hasn't heard, and the heart has not experienced are available to be known by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And this is why he has been given to us. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man... Save the spirit of man which is in him. It's like the man that comes to you and says, I love you, but he knows in his heart he hates you. You may think that he loves you, but he hates you. And he knows that, but you may not know that yet. You'll find that out later, sadly. And so even so, the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. So if no man knows the things of God and only the spirit of God knows the things of God, how are you going to know the things of God? You need the help of the Holy Spirit. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. And why have we received the spirit which is of God? So that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. This is spiritual understanding. It comes from the Holy Spirit. He says, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches. James 3, there is a human wisdom, but it's not from God. So we don't speak in that wisdom, but we speak in that wisdom which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man... Receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Your natural man 
is going to be resisting the things that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal. Furthermore, the natural man cannot receive them because they're spiritually discerned. And when you try to know God by your intellectual capacities, then you are going to have a breakdown in your ability to understand these things and you will begin to resist these things. People resist the Holy Spirit. People resist the activity of the Holy Spirit. People resist the power of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit wants to operate and how the Holy Spirit wants to move. And we typically resist all of that by going back to a traditional form of behavior and how I was brought up in relating to God. This is the way I was taught. This is the way I do it. This was my tradition. This is my preference. This is the, and, and so we have all of this earthly religious wisdom in it. But it boils down to the fact of the matter is, if you are to know God, you can only know him by the spirit of God. And if you're going to have the revelation of the things of God, it is a spiritual revelation. And so you have to have the capacity spiritually to have this revelation. And therefore, as we go back, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1, just because you're born again does not make this automatic. Because if it was automatic, why would Paul be praying for the believers in Colossae that they would be given spiritual understanding? This is a relationship. It is a relationship of intimacy with God through his Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is able to reveal things to us. If we were to ask most people and say, what is your definition of a spiritually mature person? We would probably begin to define that person who has shown an ability to outwardly at least deal with sin. Maybe they have an increased knowledge of the Bible or verses of the Bible. We would say, oh, a pastor, a preacher, they're definitely spiritual people. They could be the most unspiritual. A person who graduates from a a seminary, a person who has a doctorate in theology, that has to be a spiritual person. No. They could have learned a lot of things about God, but really not even know God and not have the capacity of that. We would say a person who's spiritual is a person who has received the Holy Spirit and has the gifts of the Spirit operating through their life. And that's not even true. But we might define a a spiritual person as that. And a lot of people who would seek a higher Christian life or the deeper Christian life would translate, translate that into a greater Bible knowledge, more ability at soul winning, more spiritual gifts operating through their life. And so I want you to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as Paul speaks to this church in verse 5, he makes these comments to them. And first of all, he's thankful to God for them and for the grace of God that's given to them through Jesus. And this is the result of that, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance, in all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Now listen. So that you come behind in no gift. Waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So here's a church that Paul is speaking to. And those of you that are familiar with the Corinthian church, you understand that this was a spirit-filled church. This was a church baptized in the Holy Spirit, a church that practiced and operated in the gifts of the Spirit. They were renowned for this. They were renowned for the spiritual experiences that were occurring at Corinth. And Paul even says that you're enriched in all utterance and knowledge. You, you lack no gift. But he says in chapter 3 of this church, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual, but as to carnal, even as babes in Christ. You're not even able to handle meat. This is, this is not, this, this would be strange to a lot of Christians who would say, how can that be? How can it be that a group of Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are operating through their life? And they lack no gift and they come behind in no knowledge or no utterance in anything that Paul is addressing them that you are carnal and you're not spiritual and you are babies in Christ and you are not mature and I can only give you milk and you cannot handle meat. And then he says in chapter 6, is there not anybody there who's mature and spiritual? Is there not one person in your church that's spiritual? I mean, Paul is really concerned about the Corinthian church. He's really concerned about a group of spirit-filled believers. But we would have gone into this church, or I won't say we, but a lot of times in, in our circles, we might look at this church and say, oh my gosh, that is such a spiritual group of people. They are so mature. They've just got it with God. They've got it. And Paul has to give them so many corrections. And praise God, they received the corrections and they grew from that and they matured from that. But can you see that just because you have the Holy Spirit and you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating through your life, that there still might be immaturity in your life and it doesn't necessarily mean you've arrived? And that, and, and that there are so many wonderful things that God still intends to show you? So to grow in the Lord and understanding this, this was Paul's way. This is what Paul desired to do. And we're back in 1 Corinthians 2. And I want you to see Paul's method. And he said in verse 1, And I, brothers, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world to unto our glory. And so here's Paul, and, and Paul's method was this, that when I come and I preach to you, I'm not preaching in the wisdom of men. Now, you can take that in several different ways. You could take that in understanding that the wisdom of men are these, these highly intelligent people that have been trained and they have studied and they have an oratory ability and a grammar ability that is just so intellectual 
that the common person cannot even grasp what they're saying because the common person can't even define the words that they're using. They have to use a dictionary just to listen to the message. And we can think of it in terms like that, that that's that kind of human wisdom or reasoning. And Paul says, I don't come to you that way. And then we might also think, which I believe Paul is actually alluding to, is this kind of wisdom that Paul wants to use that would try to take the things of God that are so vast and so infinite and so incredible. And Paul, by his brilliance, is going to be able to take these things that are so lofty and I'm going to dumb them down so that even the smallest child can understand it. That in itself is the wisdom of man. I don't come to you that way. I speak the wisdom of God in mysteries. What does that mean? That I'm going to talk to you by the Spirit of God and by the power of God. And if you get it, it's because the Holy Spirit revealed it to you. So that your faith stands in the power of God and not in the wisdom of man. Because if somehow I was able to dumb all of this down... So that I can present it at a children's church so that the kids can get it. Well, I can tell you this. There's not a 50-year-old in this room that can explain the new birth any better than a 5-year-old that's been born again. Because that is just a spiritual phenomena. You might can throw some scriptures around with it better than a 5-year-old. But that is an unexplainable thing. It is an experience that has to happen and the Holy Spirit gives revelation of it. In our life. So Paul says, I want to speak to you in a way that your faith is established in the power of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if I persuade you to become a Christian, somebody's going to persuade you to not be one. So if the Holy Spirit has convinced you and given you revelation and power, then your faith now stands on the power of God. And God's power is able to keep you. And so this was Paul's desire, and it was his method of what he desired to do. So I want to move into this very quickly, and we're going to come back to this in the next week to come. But I want you to look at 1 Timothy, and I want you to see this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And this is really the heart of this message, training yourself to be godly. That you have a healthy and mature and vibrant spiritual life. Which comes by a desperation and a need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Taught by the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Holy Spirit. And understanding Him not as a force. Not as a power. But as a person. Who is the greatest gift that Jesus could give to His people. Is the Holy Spirit. And he's not just a name or an accolade. He is absolutely necessary in order to have the understanding of God and spiritual things. You will not know God apart from the Holy Spirit. You can know about him, but you will not know him. And so in 1 Timothy 4, he says in verse 7, But refuse profane and old wives' fables. And exercise yourself rather unto godliness. Bodily exercise profits little. There's profit in it. But godliness is profitable unto all things. Having promise of the life that now is. And of that which is to come. 
And so Paul is telling Timothy to exercise yourself unto godliness. And so I, I want to go back to what I've laid so far and trying to get you to understand Paul's intent. Because Paul wrote Colossians and Paul wrote Corinthians. And Paul's the one that's describing that, listen, there is a wisdom of this world. We don't speak in that wisdom. We speak in the wisdom of God. And we want you to be established in the power of God. And you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and have the gifts of the Holy Spirit moving through your life and still be immature and carnal. And so we have to understand when Paul's telling Timothy, exercise yourself to be godly. I think we would immediately gravitate by human reasoning or human wisdom what we determine or define that to mean. And so we begin to really exercise ourselves and work very hard on developing a prayer life. And so if we're going to be godly, we've got to pray. And so we're going to begin to really discipline ourselves into praying better and to praying more. And so we're going to require ourselves to have these determined times of prayer that I have to have every day and all week long if I'm really going to be godly. And if I'm really going to be godly, then I have to really be devoted to the church. And so I've got to, I got to discipline myself to be involved in church and work in the church and expend my life in the church if I'm really going to be godly. And if I'm going to be godly, then I have to know the Bible. And so I've got to really exercise myself and work hard and train myself to really be in the word of God and memorize scripture and know the text and know all of these things. And the more I can know it, then the more godly I'm going to be. And I don't believe for one moment that's what Paul is saying. <clears throat> because really, if you did all of those things, you've made yourself a Pharisee. But you haven't necessarily become the kind of person that is godly. And what is the peril of the last day's church? Paul would again write this to Timothy. And Paul would say to Timothy that the peril of the last day's church in 2 Timothy 3 is this. Doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. They're full of the religion or the wisdom of this world because they're disobedient, they're covenant breakers, they're fighters, they're brawlers, they're envious, they're, they, they disagree with one another, they hate one another, there's no relationships. And he sums it up like this, they have a form of godliness, but they have denied the power thereof. And so I don't believe for one moment that Paul is desiring Timothy to have this exercise towards godliness where he has this form of godliness, even this reputation of godliness, but there's no true power in his life. And so I believe that what Paul would desire is whatever godliness is in our life or comes through our life, it is the result of the power of God that is working in our life. And it is what that power produces through our life. That's why Paul said that to the Colossians. About the power of the Holy Spirit coming to them so that they can have this spiritual understanding in the things of God. Very quickly in Hebrews chapter 5, I will give you another passage in regards to this. About exercise and exercising yourself to be godly. He says this in, in Hebrews 5 verse 12 or, or verse 11. We'll say it there. Speaking of Melchizedek, we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. 
For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those, now listen to this, even those who by reason of use have exercised their senses or have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And Paul is testifying, I believe he wrote Hebrews, and so Paul is testifying here in the book of Hebrews that those who have grown, those who are maturing spiritually with the capacity of knowing the things of God, are those individuals who have literally exercised their senses to discern good and evil. And what senses are those? Well, he's certainly not appealing to man's wisdom. So it's not man's natural senses. It must be a spiritual sense, a spiritual knowing, a spiritual understanding. Why else would Paul pray to the Colossians in chapter 1? I pray that you have spiritual understanding. It must be that. And so when Paul is telling Timothy to exercise himself to be godly, what Paul is really appealing to Timothy about is this. Exercise yourself, exercise your spiritual senses to be aware of God and aware of the Holy Spirit and what he is wanting to show you and do through your life. Being governed by him and being led by him in your life. The spirit of man can rejoice, it can grieve, it can anticipate, it can decide, it can approve, it can condemn, it can fear, it can discern, it can love. And I'm just going to go through the scriptures very quickly of the spirit of man that is in him. Your spirit. This is not your brain. This is not your intellect. This is your spiritual man that has the capacity of knowing God and has the capacity of walking with God. And so this is important because nature relates to nature. You may love your animals, but I hope to God they're not your best friend. That would be pretty demented, all right? Because the dog is not your nature. It cannot communicate with you. It doesn't have the ability for the level of intimacy that you're capable of. And if God is going to have an intimacy with the man, then the man must have a new nature. He must have the capacity on a spiritual level to commune and be intimate with a God who is spiritual because God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we have a spirit that has this capacity if we exercise it to discern the good and the evil. And it says, these are just little quotes from the scriptures. The spirit indeed is willing. Jesus perceived in his spirit. He sighed deeply in his spirit. Mary said, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. He was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. When Jesus had thus spoken, he was troubled in his spirit. 
The Apostle Paul in Acts 17, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city full of idols. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he was fervent in his spirit. In Acts 19, Paul purposed in his spirit. In Acts 20, Paul said, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. To the Romans, he said, be fervent in your spirit. To the Corinthians, he said, for what person knows a man's thoughts except the spirit of the man which is in him? And who can know God but the spirit of God in whom he will reveal him? To the Corinthians, he said, I will sing in the spirit. I will bless in the spirit. I had no rest in my spirit. We have the same spirit of faith. A spirit of wisdom and revelation was the prayer of Paul for the Ephesians. And he said in Colossians, your love in the spirit. And so, beloved, I just want to say to you that there is a desire in God to build up your spirit, your inner life. The revelation of God in the Bible has given us many admonitions. To me, these things are extremely encouraging. The Bible uses terms to express the knowledge of God as it uses terms to express the knowledge of things. If I were to say to you, taste a piece of cake, you know how to do that, right? You don't put it in your hands and rub your fingers in it and try to taste it. You put it in your mouth. You have the sense to know that if I'm going to taste the cake, it's got to go in my mouth. Or if I say, I want you to listen to this music, then you don't go and plug your ears up so that you can't hear nothing and just look at it thinking you're going to hear. No, you have to use the proper sense to hear the music. And you have, you know, you have to use that. And if you're going to know God in the ways that God has compelled us to know him, you have to use the proper senses. So, for example, Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm sure to people that even in this room are watching us over the social media would say, well, that doesn't mean what it says. Certainly you can't taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, and I get it because you're trying to use your intellectual mind and your earthly wisdom to try to understand something that you cannot possibly understand because it's spiritually revealed. And so you will live your life never knowing this truth unless you open your heart for the spiritual revelation that the Lord wants to give you. So is it possible to taste and see that the Lord is good? I believe it is. And I sure want to. Psalm 45, 8, it says, all your garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces. Is it possible to smell God? Well, if you're trying to use your nose, you probably won't. But if you have a new man in Christ and you have a new life in Christ and there's an inner man, then perhaps your inner man, your new man actually does have a nose and can smell him. And those of you that don't, 
and you're just living in the confinement of a religious wisdom, you think this is absolutely ludicrous and Christians like you need to be locked up. I'll still smell him. You can't take that from me. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. Is it possible for some people to hear the voice of Jesus and not others? Absolutely. Because if you're not his sheep, you don't hear his voice. But his sheep do. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And there's an ability to see God. And I want to come to these scriptures in John 14 through 16 and show you just the beauty and the excitement of the incredible invitation of intimacy with the living God through the person of the Holy Spirit that takes it out of the realm of human ability and human intellect and human wisdom to be able to know God intimately and to be strong spiritually and be mature spiritually. It takes it out of the realm of man's ability and it puts it all into the realm of grace. The power and the ability of God. I'm excited for you to know that. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would move today like Paul prayed for the Colossians. That you would move today in such a way, Father, that we would have wisdom and spiritual understanding in the knowledge of you. That, Lord, we would have communion with you through the Holy Spirit. That, Lord, we would, according to Hebrews chapter 5, we would exercise our senses to discern good and evil. Good being you and evil being that which is opposite or away from you. Help us to see it and to understand it and to know it. Help us to be the people, God, who live in the wisdom that comes from above. That we would live in peace and we would make peace with people. We would not be brawlers and dividers and full of envy and full of strife, God. Full of anger, full of negative thoughts. But God, we would have that which is pure and peaceable and joyful and a delight in our life as a result of the Holy Spirit being with us. Father, bless the people today that have come. I pray that you enrich their life greatly in Jesus' name. Amen.